morning again, and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. My name is Mike, one of our pastors here. Great to be with you. Uh, grateful to open up God's Word this morning. So if you're in the sanctuary, welcome. If you're tuning in online or over in East Hall, welcome to you as well. We are continuing our summer series called The Dirty Dozen. Uh, twelve weeks, looking at twelve different stories, twelve different individuals who seemed unlikely and yet God used in a dramatic way to make Jesus famous. We hope two things happen in this series. One, you identify with these characters, and then secondly, you are used like them. Right? Whoever you are, wherever you may be, that the best story this summer for you is not your vacation, it's not your golf game, but it's how God used you to make Jesus famous. So we're in that series again today, looking at the story of Nicodemus. So I invite you now, turn with me, we're going to jump right in to the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 2, starting at verse 23. That'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, there's Bible in your pews, or you can find it on the app. But John chapter 2, verse 23, and then we're going to read uh, all the way through chapter 3, verse 15. Now when he, referring to Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And no one needed to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. For if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word for us this morning. A few things right off the bat that we learn about Nicodemus. Uh, verse 1, look with me. He is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know. So he uses the pronoun we and not I, so he's representing a group of people. He's not just representing himself. And then verse 10, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? So he is not just a teacher, but he is the teacher. Right, so as a Pharisee, he is a highly moral and religious person. As a ruler of the Jews, he's a very powerful person. As the teacher of Israel, he is highly respected and educated and intelligent. Right, it's a pretty impressive resume that's being built by Nicodemus. Right, he is moral, check. He is powerful, check. 
He is respected, check. He is successful, check. He has degrees, check. But notice with me, he is a teacher of teacher and the leaders of leaders, and yet Jesus says this to him in verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As clearly and as emphatically as Jesus can tell him, he says, you must be born again. He says it in verse 3, verse 5, and in verse 7. In other words, he's telling Jesus, uh, you must be a completely different person, a completely new person. You must be born again, which is strange to me, right? If you had a son that was like Nicodemus, wouldn't you be proud? If the world had more people just like Nicodemus who were moral and educated and successful, wouldn't this world be a better place? Or even more so, doesn't Jesus need people just like Nicodemus? Right? Imagine what well-educated, well-respected, influential people could do with power and money for the name of Jesus. You see, I would have expected the conversation to go a little bit differently. I would have expected Jesus to say to Nicodemus, you are exactly who I need, and you are exactly who I've been waiting for. Right? I've been through hundreds of resumes, and you are my guy. So far, I have a bunch of knuckleheads and fishermen, and I could really use someone with your power and your smarts and your influence. But Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, you need to be born again. You need to become a completely different person. What's going on here? Three points for today. The first is what Jesus knows that only Jesus knows. The second is what Jesus can do that only Jesus can do. And then third, how Nicodemus can live in a way only he can. So first, uh, what Jesus knows that only he knows. The question is, why does Nicodemus need to be born again, right? If this was somebody else, it would be easier for us to understand, right? Almost anybody else in our series. The leper from week one, it would make sense. Mary Magdalene with seven demons, that would make sense. The Samaritan woman with five husbands living with her boyfriend, that would make sense, right? If you root for the Steelers or the Wolverines, that would make sense. You would need to be born again like double time, if that's even possible. But Nicodemus, why? Look with me at how uh, verse 25 ends. It says, He himself knew what was in man. It's referring to Jesus, and he's talking about man in general. And then first verse of chapter 3, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So chapter 2 ends, a description of people in general. And then Nicodemus is an example of one of those people specifically. So we can learn more about Nicodemus through this group of people. So let's look at this group. The end of chapter 2, verse 23. says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, referring to Jesus, when they saw the signs that he was doing. Right, so Jesus is being Jesus. He is wheeling and dealing. Right, he's doing these miraculous displays of power, these signs. Right, he's healing the sick. He's feeding the hungry. He's turning water into the best wine that they've ever had. And people are drawn to Jesus, understandably so. 
It says they believed in him. It seems positive. But then it takes a turn in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Literally, Jesus did not believe them. Right, so you have people coming to Jesus saying, we believe in you. And Jesus looking them in the eye and saying, I don't believe you. What would that feel like for Jesus to say, I don't believe you? Why would he say that? Verse 24, because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Right, there was something that Jesus knew that only he knew. Right, despite what these people were saying on the outside and doing, he knew the truth about them on the inside. He knew what they were really all about. He knew what they really wanted. He knew what was really in their hearts. I have a son, Braden, who just turned three. And I have taught him the great thing of life, of enjoying a bubbly. All right, this is a upper-class version of LaCroix. And one day we were playing in the driveway. I went down to sit, grabbed a drink, opened up, strawberry bubbly, and pretty soon my son came running after me. He puts his arms up in the air and asked me to pick him up, which is every dad's favorite moment. And so I pick up my son, I put him on my lap, and the first thing he does is he goes for my bubbly. And I realized right there he wasn't interested in dad. He just really wanted to use dad to get what he really wanted, a bubbly. This crowd wasn't really interested in Jesus. They wanted more food, they wanted more healings, and they wanted more wine. There was something else that they really wanted. And it seems funny and it seems harmless when it's a little kid. But as we get older, it gets a little bit more serious. A little while ago, I had a friend reach out to me, and he wanted to grab breakfast. And we sat down, and he told me that after just about 10 years of marriage and two kids, his wife was done. And he asked her why, and she said, I never really loved you. You just stopped making me happy. Right? She was never really interested in her husband. She was just using her husband for what she really wanted, a grown-up version of a bubbly, her own happiness. You see, there is a tendency in all of us to use other people for what we really want. Kids will do it with parents. Parents can do it with kids. Spouses can do it with each other. Bosses can do it with employees. Employees can do it with their coworkers. If we get what we want, it's great. But if we don't, then we are no longer interested and we are done. The end of our story, the end of our passage, Jesus references a story in the Old Testament it comes from Numbers chapter 21. And uh, it's a story Nicodemus would have known well and probably taught often. And at first it seems a little bit out of place, but let me read to you one verse. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Does it sound a little bit familiar. Right here you have people, I can paraphrase, God, we wanted good food and good drinks. You have given us bad food and bad drink, this worthless stuff. If you're not going to give us what we want, then we don't want anything to do 
with you. You see, we can do this with people. We also can do this with God. We can use Him for something else that we really want. It's true of all people, and it's true of Nicodemus. So yeah, he appeared to be the ideal candidate for Jesus. He was moral, he was powerful, he was successful, he was educated, he was respected. But Jesus knew something about Nicodemus that nobody else knew. Even though he went to church every Sunday, even though he had a good job and a good marriage and a good kids, a nice house, Jesus knew the truth about Nicodemus, what was on the inside that nobody else knew. So some people think that Nicodemus came to Jesus because he was curious, or that he was in some sort of crisis, but I think that's being too kind. I think Nicodemus, with that sort of power and influence and status, more like a recruiter, he saw an opportunity. He came to Jesus because he saw what Jesus could do for him. Right? Imagine how much more influence, imagine how much more respect, imagine how much more power Imagine what my reputation would do with Jesus, right? He wasn't really after Jesus. He was just after what he really wanted. And the question is, what do we really want with Jesus? What do you really want with Jesus? That's a scary question for me to ask myself, even as a young pastor, preaching this weekend other roles that I have at my church. Why do I want things to go well here? Do I want people just to think highly of me for my own ego, my own self-esteem, my own sense of worth? Or do I really want to lift the name of Jesus up high and make him famous? If you were face-to-face with Jesus tonight and he could see in you, what would he see? What would he know about you that only he knows? What do you really want? Why are you here today? Are you here because your spouse asked you to come and you think somehow this will appease him or her? Are you here because maybe you're looking for a spouse and the church is just the best place to look? Are you here because somehow this will make you feel better as a person than maybe you actually are? Or maybe your family has always gone to church and this is just what good families do. Sometimes it's hard to know our own hearts. And so the test is what happens when Jesus no longer gives you what you want? What if he gives you worthless food and worthless drink? What if his usefulness to you diminishes? For here is what is true. Nobody else will know your heart. Your spouse will not know. Your kids won't know. Your parents won't know. Your friends, your co-workers, your foursome... Nobody will know but Jesus. And you can fool a lot of people for a very long time, including yourself. But you can never fool Jesus. You see, why does Nicodemus need to be born again? Perhaps the very same reason some of us need to be born again. We've never really been interested in Jesus. We've just been using Jesus for what we really want. This brings me to my second point what Jesus can do that only he can do. Nicodemus never disagrees with Jesus. He doesn't ask Jesus why, probably because he knows why. He knows he's been exposed. 
He knows that Jesus knows the truth about him. He knows what really is inside of his heart, and so he doesn't ask why. For the same reason that we don't really need to ask why. When we get a good look of what is in us, we know why as well. Why we need to be born. Again, the question is not why, the question is how. How does this born again thing happen? Nicodemus asked this question twice. In verse 4 and then in verse 9. Verse 4, I'll read it. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, for as smart as Nicodemus is supposed to be, he asks kind of a dumb question. So Jesus, you're telling me I need to go to my mom and ask her to carry me again and then deliver me again and I will be born again. Is that what you're telling me? You know, part of me wishes Jesus had some fun with Nicodemus. And maybe he did. It's just not recorded for us. And he said, Nicodemus, you are 100% right. I want you to go home. I want you to take your six foot two, 205-pound, 52-year-old self. Go back to your mom's house. Your five foot four, 135-pound, 72-year-old mother. And say, Mom, I just talked to Jesus and he said, I need to be born again. So I know you've done a lot for me, and really, I am very grateful. But if I can ask just one more small favor, could I climb back inside for nine more months, then we do this whole thing again? The good news to all the moms here, that's not what Jesus said. There is no being born again quite like that. But how? Before we answer the how, I just want to lean into this for a moment. Uh, if you are not a Christian, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, uh, there is really good news here. That you don't have to stay the same person that you are, with the same heart that you have. Because my guess is at some point, your heart, if it's like my heart, has led you astray. At some point, what you really want inside of you has impacted your life negatively. Your marriage is struggling or over. Your kids are estranged from you. Your debt has skyrocketed. Your employees don't trust you. Your girlfriend has broken up with you because they realized that you were never really interested in them. You were just using them for something else that you wanted. And Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. You can change. The question is how. Notice the language that Jesus uses about being born again. It says in verse 5, born of water and the Spirit. Verse 6, born of the Spirit. And then verse 8, born of the Spirit. If I could summarize, this is something that God does, not you, Nicodemus. Right? This isn't a matter of your muscle or your education. This is something that I do. There's no YouTube video or life hack for this. God does this. And the two analogies he uses cements this reality. The first the analogy of being born. Right, if I were to ask you, who is the hero in the delivery room, who would you say? Right, would it be the doctor? No. Would it be the father? Certainly no. Would it be the kid? No. Who would it be? The mom is the hero, both in the delivery room and pretty much all of life. The second analogy, the wind. Right? No one can control the weather, can take credit for nice days or rainy days, for windy days or not so windy days. Right? Jesus says in verse 8, 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is using a number of different ways to tell Nicodemus one thing. You can't do this. You may have been able to do everything else, but this you cannot do. It doesn't matter your money, your degrees, your influence, your status. You can't trust in yourself. You want to be born again, you must trust in me. And Nicodemus must have been pretty hard-headed because Jesus again goes to a third illustration. At the very end of the passage, verses 14 and 15, back to the story in Numbers 21, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Right back to the story of people who were upset with God with the worthless food and the worthless, worthless drink. And they were using God, and God then judges them for how they were looking and treating him. You can look at Numbers 21. He actually sends poisonous snakes as a form of judgment. But then there's a way out. He sends and he gives to Moses, his leader, a bronze serpent. And tells Moses, if you lift up the bronze serpent, whoever looks at this serpent will be healed and will be saved. And the details actually aren't that important. What is important is Jesus is telling Nicodemus it's always been this way. People have never been able to trust in themselves. They've always had to look to me to be saved. So just like I use Moses, now I'm using Jesus, Nicodemus. So Jesus is bringing Nicodemus to a decision. Maybe he's bringing you to a decision. Am I going to trust in myself or am I going to trust in Jesus? My question is, why would someone like Nicodemus trust in Jesus? All of his life, he has been very successful trusting in himself. Right? He's got to the top of the ladder, become a teacher of teachers, a leader of leaders, the top of the org chart by trusting in himself. Why would he stop trusting in himself and now turn to Jesus? I think what Jesus would tell Nicodemus is, I am exactly like you. I have everything that you have. Morality, check. I am the most moral person that's ever lived. Powerful, check. No one can do the signs that I can do. Influential, check. Look at the crowds that follow me. I have everything that you have. You are a leader of leaders and a teacher of teachers, and so am I. I am also a king of kings. The difference between me and you, Nicodemus, is not on the outside, but on the inside. I know what is in you, and I need you to know what is in me. See, you have a heart for yourself, and I have a heart for you. You have a heart that wants to earn more and more. I have a heart that wants to give more and more. You have a heart that wants to lift your name high on an org chart. And I have a name that led my body and my blood to be lifted high on a cross. The difference is not the outside, it's the inside. Nicodemus, you can trust me. I'm not here to fool anybody. I'm not here to use anybody. If you want to know what I really want, it's you. It's you. Even when you were trying to use me, I lived and I died and I rose again for you. Which if you think the greatest thing I can do for you is a few signs, then you are mistaken. For the greatest thing I can do for you is take away all 
your sins. If you think the greatest thing I can do for you is give you a cup of the very best wine, then you are mistaken. For I can drink the cup of God's wrath for you instead. Even when you are trying to use me, I am for you. My friends, that is true for you too. If you ever wonder about what Jesus is like, or what is really in Jesus, what he really wants, he says it's you. He says it's me. He's willing to descend from heaven, he's willing to descend into the grave, and then rise again on the third day to prove it. So may we not be deceived into trusting ourselves, trusting our degrees, our success, or in our money. For at some point, we will all let ourselves down, but Jesus, he never will. So may today be the day that you look away from yourself and you look towards Jesus. For when you do, then watch what Jesus can do, what only he can do. He will change your heart. He will change your life. He will change the way you approach Jesus. You will stop going to Jesus to get something that you want. Instead, you're going to give something to him. You will stop building your own kingdom and start serving his kingdom. You will start pursuing the things for your own fame, and you will live for the fame of Jesus. This brings me to the third point, how Nicodemus can live in a way that only he can. This isn't the last we hear of Nicodemus. He pops up two other times in the Gospel of John, John 7 and then John 19. And we don't have time to do both today, but I encourage you to read John 19 you'll see a completely different Nicodemus. He isn't coming to Jesus to get anything but to give. He isn't coming for any signs. He's coming to honor the one that forgave him of all of his sins. You'll see a completely different heart and a completely different Nicodemus. But I want to end our time in John 7. And let me just set the stage for you briefly. Nicodemus is with all of his buddies, his friends probably 10 to 12 of them. They're in a boardroom. They're pretty important, pretty powerful people. And a conversation of Jesus pops up. Right, and only Nicodemus is there. There are no other disciples. Peter's not there. James is not there. John is not there. Only Nicodemus. You see, there will be places and there will be times and there will be circles where you are the only Christian there. Right, it won't be me, it won't be Pastor Joe, there'll be no other staff there or could get, could get there. And some of you are around some very important and very powerful people. You see, God has put you in a place like Nicodemus. He's put you in a circle at a particular time in a particular place to make Jesus famous in a way that only you can. Nicodemus decides to insert himself into the conversation in John chapter 7. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man, referring to Jesus, without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? In other words, he asked the question, Will you hear Jesus out? Will you hear Jesus out? One simple question. Two applications for us. One, if you are not a Christian, I would ask the same question for you. Would you hear Jesus out? Would you read through the Gospel of John and hear from him directly of who he is and what he has done for you? If you are a Christian, 
I would say let's follow the example of Nicodemus. In our circles, we don't need to be silent when Jesus comes up. But we also, we don't need to be a hero. We just need to ask a question. Will you come to church with me next weekend? Do you have a Bible so you could read for yourself who Jesus is? For friends, there are people that will only ever be asked that question because of you. Because God wants to use you and you alone in a way that only you can be used to make Jesus famous. See, as it turns out, Nicodemus was exactly who Jesus needed him to be. But it wasn't because of his background. It wasn't because of his resume or his success or his degrees. In fact, because he didn't trust in those at all. He got to look at his heart. He got to look at the heart of Jesus. And he said, I'm going with him. I know myself too well. I'm going to go with Jesus, the one who gave everything for me, even when I tried to use him. I'm going to place my trust in that man. And when you do, watch your heart change. Watch your life change. Watch your approach to Jesus change. You will stop coming to him for a few signs, and you will start making him famous because he's forgiven every single one of your sins. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for Jesus this morning. God, we thank you that in him is love for us is so real. God, and so powerful that led him to descend from heaven, to descend into the grave, and then to be raised again on the third day. God, I pray that we would get a glimpse into our heart and then his. And we would lean into him and trust him more and more. And God, you would use us like Nicodemus, God, to ask great questions and to point people to Jesus and to make you famous and not ourselves. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.